Let's turn in our New Testaments now to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 14 and 15, as we continue in this series through 1 and 2 Thessalonians called Living Between the Now and the Not Yet. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, and this is the very Word of God. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Okay, so we are down to the practical section, you know, the, the, the practical advice section of the book as Paul's letters wind to a close as he has just taught these beautiful sweeping things. We get down to, don't forget my coat, um, bring it, I'm going to get cold, make sure you send so-and-so, say hey to so-and-so, but a lot of practical advice. But you know, when we read this, we don't just find practical advice. You know what we find? We, fi- we find practical application of what we've learned in this book. And I think this is very important because as you are listening along and, and reading along in the text, you know, there's a lot, there's like a to-do list to, to warn people and to encourage them and to, to help them. And, and we don't need to just take this as simply a, a list of things. You know, you better do this and this is the way it's supposed to look. Now, this book, starting at chapter 1, told us about a, a little group of people who heard and embraced the gospel of God, and no longer did they fearfully sacrifice to idols, because that's what they were doing, but they understood that God sacrificed for them, and they put their trust in what Christ had done through his own sacrifice for them, and they were forgiven, and for the first time in their lives, they were freed from this this fear Do you know that if you've put your trust in Jesus, do you know that you are perfectly loved? I'm talking about this morning, right now, unconditionally loved. Do you know that? Do do you know that you are completely accepted? Yes, you, me, with our foibles, with all of of our warts and all, because of what Jesus has done, you are perfectly accepted and nothing can change that there is something life-changing about that realization you are perfectly according to god's sovereign purposes provided for led by god uh, cared for by god and and they realized this and you know they responded and that's kind of what we saw in the middle part of the book. They, they responded by living and, and proclaiming this love of Christ. The Word of God sounded forth. The Gospel sounded forth from them. And they were, they were learning what it meant to, to live together as people under Christ and to work out life together and to work out ministry together. And then finally, in the midst of scary persecution, and they were going through things we have never even thought about having to go through for just knowing the Lord. 
In the midst of this, they eagerly awaited and every day anticipated the victorious return of Jesus. They knew it was going to be okay. They knew the big picture, you see. Folks, even in our struggle with self and sin, life in Christ is beautiful. And and here's the point today. The beauty... And the potential of our lives that is true was meant to be and is meant to be seen by other people and encouraged by other people. It's unbelievable what grace has given us. The beauty of a redeemed life must be seen, must be encouraged. Maybe we could put it this way. A redeemed human life is too significant, too beautiful, filled with too much potential to be unobserved. So I want to ask you, who's observing your life? Who, who, who's focusing in on this life that you are living, that God has given you in Christ? Who's watching over you to warn you To keep you from harm. Loves you enough to say don't go there. Because they see you enough to be able to say it. Who sees you when you cry. Really sees you. Who sees you when you laugh and can laugh with you. To my belly laugh with you. Who's observing your life to develop you. Who's watching You, when you conquer, or when you have experienced the sting of defeat, who is watching you? Who really wants you to flourish and grow and become a maximum servant of Jesus Christ? Your life is too significant to be unobserved and therefore unhelped. Who's observing your life? I remember when I was a boy, I often thought that my parents were too strict. I'm sure there are children, young people in this sanctuary today that that have that same feeling. And uh, the truth is, they were always watching me. And they were very quick to correct my errors. And they were somewhat quick as well to praise me for good things. But as I got older, it became very obvious to me that my parents watched me a lot more carefully than a lot of my friends' parents watched them. And of course, from my 12-year-old perspective, 13-year-old perspective, my friends seemed to have more elbow room in their life, seemed to have a little bit more leeway or what I would have called freedom. I thought that would be really great. To have that kind of freedom. Until I went to spend the night at one of my friend's house at at age 12 or 13. I can't remember. He was a school friend named Hank. And I found out what the price of this supposed freedom really is. Hank could do anything he wanted. I mean anything. It was the stellar opposite of my house. I I went from the scrutiny zone to the anything you want to do zone. And uh, his parents were were almost never there. And when they were there, they weren't really there. 
Because I was there with him and them and they weren't really there. And Hank and I had the run of the place. And I thought, man, this, this is cool. This is cool. But then came dinner, or what Hank's mother was calling dinner. Um, in, in my mind, a burnt offering that failed to please. Uh, and uh, compared to my mother's cooking, my mother got a little check in the, in the positive column right away. Uh, you know, compared to what I was uh, eating uh, warmed up in the microwave. And then after dinner, there was an opportunity to watch anything, any movie, and I mean any movie, that we wanted to watch. And they had all of them. And all the latest ones. And this was followed by going to Hank's room and him playing some really lewd comedy tapes and witnessing him bring out his collection of marijuana cigarettes since age 12 to smoke in the house. I don't know if I'd ever seen one of those at that age. I want you to know, at this particular time, I was in some form of shock. And, uh, and I wasn't going, I, I was not, I was not going there, I, I'll tell you. It, it kind of felt strange at dinner, and it, and it, and it felt strange with the lack of parental guidance, with our choices, but it, I felt downright exposed and vulnerable when the drugs came out. I have to tell you, even in my memory, it was actually a pretty great moment in my life when I crossed the threshold of my house. I was back in the scrutiny zone. Just where I needed to be. I was back in the scrutiny zone with people who actually wanted to see my life so that they could put their hands on my life and shape my life and lead my life, who's observing your life? Who cares enough to really see you? You know, this is a very appropriate question for the church. But I got to tell you, before we get into this passage, you got to want to be observed to be observed. You're about to find a two-way street. In this passage, because this is, this is where Paul, you know, in the last little bit of scripture we dealt with, he says, this is what Christian leadership looks like, and he, God's put leaders in churches, and they are held accountable to lead well, and the, the congregation is supposed to respond to that leadership. Now he gets down and he says, look, we, you, people, just believers, brothers and sisters, we have responsibility to one another. To give a kind of horizontal help that we really, really need. And um, this is an important concept. Whether we can see one another, especially in the 21st century, because we are electronically connected without being observed. Let me say that again. We are so electronically connected, but not observed. On Facebook, we have this large number of friends who are not friends. We are a highly mobile and scattered people. We have, we live a mega gigabyte life. And we are so relationally destitute. It's just true. And we're so busy. And it's like, 
it's not, it's not, it's like skew lines that never quite touch and, and the opportunities are legion. But who's actually observing your life? I tell you, Paul says it here. He uses the word brothers and sisters. You see that verse 14? We urge you brothers and sisters. And what I'd like to do is, is to just use the verbs. There's a few verbs here to kind of show us and help us see what this looks like when the Holy Spirit is at work and this horizontal help is happening in the church. So the verbs are warn, encourage, help, and make sure. So I want to begin with warning. It's kind of a, you know, a red light way to begin, isn't it? You kind of wish you'd start with help or something. But we're starting right here with warning. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. You know, to warn somebody, that's that's a pretty high level of, of, of interpersonal risk to actually go warn somebody. You've got to see them and you need to see them correctly before you start calling them out and you start warning them. But I'm going to tell you, the person who sees you well enough to actually warn you of what might happen to you or happen through you is a very important person in our lives and a very rare person in our lives. He says, warn the idle, I-D-L-E, warn the idle. The, the Greek here word for idle actually is a military term. It says means to break ranks. Warn those people who've break, broken ranks. And it's interesting when you look at the English translations that sometimes it's, it's uh, translated idle and then sometimes it's translated disruptive. And the ESV uses that one word and says idle and disruptive. And the idea of idle is somebody's broken ranks. They've gone, gone A-W-O-L. You see, they've gone, they're broken ranks. They're, they're AWOL. There's their brothers and sisters straining at the oars in ministry and, and, and reaching and, and, and doing life together and, and they're loathing. You know, they're just out there somewhere. Look, we were made for life and ministry together. And I just tell you the way it works in the Christian life. I don't know if you figured this out yet. To pull out of giving yourself in ministry is to pull out of community. It is to pull out of being known. You can mark my words. If you decide you're never going to help anybody and you're never going to help anybody with anybody, you're going to be a lonely person. And that's what the word idle here means. It means to break, go AWOL, break out of the ranks. Someone needs to say to these, these folks, hey, that kind of living is just going to turn you inward. It's going to make your life so small. I'm warning you. In Jesus, we're better than this. You get that feeling when you, when you actually see this as a result of all the, the beauty of a Christian life. It, it's not just, this is going to happen to you. It's also, we're better than this. We're made for more than that. But the word also can mean disruptive. And this is the idea of breaking ranks like, you know, like getting out of line, you know, being unruly. And being a troublemaker. And maybe maybe someone that sees into our lives and kind of sees that attitude would say something like this. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Life in the Spirit does not support 
this attitude, you know it's not going to help the situation, and you know deep in your heart that it's not going to help you either. And, the, and, and, and God is king of his church, and I'm warning you, don't mess with his church. So, warn the idle or the disruptive. But to warn anybody, you got to see them. And thank the Lord for people who lovingly says, hey man, don't go there. Let's go this way. The second word is encourage. Encourage the disheartened or the downcast. We get discouraged, don't we? We get discouraged. And, and let me tell you, when you are in the, the, the just like the bottom part of discouragement, there is nothing quite like the voice of a friend who really sees where you are and cares about you. There is nothing like that presence. There's nothing like that voice. Do, you, do we even understand what a privilege it is to be known to be seen. How invisible have we made ourselves? How shockingly inappropriate to be a redeemed human and become invisible. Because we need that encouragement. We need that voice of a friend. We are not meant to struggle alone in discouragement. Chuck Swindoll in his book, Contagious Christianity. I don't know about y'all, for those of you who are alive in the 80s. I know I'm so 80s. Um, I love Chuck Swindoll books in the 80s. They were amazing. Uh, but I, I read from his book, Contagious Christianity. He talks about the gift of encouragement, what is, how it's wrapped up and given to one another. He says this gift, encouragement, it may be wrapped in an affirming word or a gentle touch or a smile or a shoulder to lean on. It may just be given by simply our presence. And listen to this. It's the reason I'm reading the quote to you. Too often we isolate ourselves. Like strangers in an elevator, we feel uncomfortable even making eye contact or speaking politely with one another. In the family of God, those things must be different. Let's free ourselves to acknowledge one another. To touch one another, particularly the discouraged who need to know that someone cares. I mean, when I read that, it's like, you know, redeemed people shouldn't be like people in an elevator. So warn the idle. See them. Get ahead of that before it, before it turns into something bad. Encourage the disheartened. Come in and, and, and be that encouragement. And then thirdly is help. Help the weak. What does he mean by the weak? Well, he can mean a lot of things. He could mean the physically weak, but I think he means more than just the physically weak. I think he means the spiritually weak. I think, you know, like some people are strong in some things and some people are weak in others and there are blind spots and there are times in our lives we run really thin, don't we? In areas, do you know, a part of that is by design. The reason we're not like Uber Christian is because we were made to be in this thing called the church where weaknesses and strengths match up and, and where there is a coming alongside and a provision by God through relationship, through knowledge of a person. 
in the church. And the Greek word here literally means, I love this, hold fast to the weak. Don't let them go. You know, think about somebody with a broken leg or maybe think of a very, very elderly person who's had like a, a operation, a hip operation, and they're just getting up and they're going real slow. And you see somebody, you know, on their shoulder and they're holding them and they're going slow. What is your thought when you see that? That lady ought to walk on her own. That is not your thought. Wow, that is so great. For that person. And I'm going to tell you just parenthetically. For you senior saints. Please understand how important you are in this body of Christ. Because when we see one of you helping and patiently loving and supporting the other in times of weakness. It speaks directly to our hearts. And directly to our lives. This this is the picture here. And uh, this kind of help. Help the weak. Grab hold of the weak. Don't let go of the weak. This, this is not help that's dispensed. It's not dispensed from a, a pulpit. Or a lectern or anywhere else. No, this, this is given by seeing the weakness. Because you see the person. And taking hold of them with compassionate, loving care and strength for the weakness. And how sad to struggle with weakness that God has provided for. He's, got, he's, he's put it right here among us, through us. But we're just going to go it alone like we do as 21st century people. How sad to fall away. And to have to face it, whatever it is, all alone. How sad to crash and burn when you didn't have to. Didn't have to. Warn. Our lives are beautiful. They need to be, they deserve to be observed. Warn. The idle, encourage the the downcast, help the weak. And then finally, make sure, be patient and make sure that there's patience rather than vengeance. Where there's patience and love rather than vengeance. Verse 14, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Okay, any group of sinners is going to have tension, strains, and look, uh, the church, we're, we're sinners. You know, we, we struggle with ourselves, we think about ourselves so many times a day, it should scare us. And, and where there's a collection of sinners, I'm talking about sinners that know and love Jesus Christ, there is going to be strain, there, there is going to be aggravations. But I'm going to tell you what doesn't have to happen. Wouldn't it be great if there was one place in your life where aggravations don't blow up into face-off and don't turn into nuclear type of events and don't get burned over through getting people back, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Wouldn't it be great if there was a place that was actually safe and people could actually sin against you? And you could actually be patient with them.
This requires patience. Patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. That's the good news. This is like, like, the, like the Spirit of God. You know, like the Holy Spirit, God Himself, is producing patience in people. So this is not something we've got to produce ourselves. It's something we need to desire, but it's something God produces in our lives, and it is so needed. Do you think patience is needed in your life? It's not a natural attribute for me. I want you to know that. To be patient and not retaliate is an amazing thing. In fact, it's, it's, it's kind of a game changer because it is so out of character the way human beings actually act that when there is an offense and then there is patience and non-retaliation, people sometimes aren't sure what to do with that. They're bracing for the next blow and it never comes. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. It's very noticed and it changes the situation. When people really see into our lives, they, they can get in early in this thing and, and they can exhort us to patience rather than payback. You see, that's the whole thing. You got somebody that's seen you and they say, I know what you're going to do. I know right now you want to hit that person back as hard as you can. Don't do it. Be patient. Don't do it, and that could be with aggression, or that could be withdrawal. I just mentioned that because all retaliation is not like an F-16 and, and missiles firing and blowing the other person up. Sometimes it is withdrawal and just starving the other person out emotionally and in every sense of the word. Wouldn't it be great not to have to go through the cycles of devastation or starvation? If someone were in early and could say, look, I know you might, you've been wronged. I, I know that with everything in you wants to strike, don't do it. Jesus taught non-retaliation to even turn the other cheek. I mean, how ridiculous is this? They slap your cheek. You slap them back. No. You say, why don't you turn the other, just why don't you hit the other one too? Because I'm not hitting you back. In fact, I'm going to love you back. Non-retaliation is amazing. But this goes further than non-retaliation. In addition to that, to actually do good instead of retaliate, that's downright godlike. Where did that come from? I mean, this is, this is incredible stuff here. Um, always strive to do what is good for each other. And for everyone else, not just don't pay back wrong for wrong. I, I, I need to read Romans 12, 17 through 21. It's like the big scripture other than Jesus words on this. This is the big scripture on this. This is that scripture that mentions the hot coals that get heaped on people's heads because, you know, sometimes people don't know what to do with non-retaliation and love in its place. I mean, sometimes they're baffled. Sometimes they're amazed. Sometimes they're convicted. That's the hot coals. And sometimes they're really curious, which would be a good thing. That maybe we get a chance to explain that. So here's Romans 12, 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. 
but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. You see, there it is. My friends telling me that. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, saith the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he is thirsty, you give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head. And it ends with these words that would just be great to burn into our memory. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to tell you, that may not happen Without that person who says, I know you're angry. And I know you want to get them back. But it's not going to help anybody. And it's not going to help your soul. Please don't do this. Let me walk with you. And then a transformative gospel of grace. Anti-gravity not supposed to happen ever thing happens. And the love of Christ really shows up. But a lot of it happens by just being seen and known. Through patience, we show love. We, brothers and sisters, do you see the word? Make sure. I just find that interesting. It's like, well, how do you make sure nobody's going to repay? And how do you make sure they're always going to do good? Well, I think on the surface, we can't make sure everybody's going to do what they should do. But I think what that's saying is, is get in there. Put your hands on it. Put your heart into it. As best you can, make sure. Be insistent, you see. This is absolutely beautiful. Who is a person in your life that can do that? Who's watching you? Who's observing your life? But there's a catch. There's a catch. Here it is. To be observed well, you have to be willing to be known. Because there is a limit that gets reached real quick when you simply don't want to be known. You can only chase somebody so long if they don't want to be known. I mean, continue to do so. But it's, it's, it's hard to have that in your life if you're not willing to be seen. People can't help you and me if they can't see you. Look, I'm as private as the next person, I promise you. This is not an easy verse for the person, a section of Scripture for the person that is preaching this sermon. But it is a necessary verse. So necessary. To be known, you have to be seen To be seen, you ready for this? This is so profound. This is like almost Zen. It's so profound. You got to show up. That's amazing, wasn't it? That was like like five levels deep. You just got to show up. 
Relationships depend on proximity. I don't know if y'all have noticed that. It's hard to have a relationship with anybody that's never there, that's not there, that withdraws from you, that kind of says through their body language and their, their, their actions, I don't want you to know me. It's not gonna, that's not gonna work. That's, that's not the beautiful life that Jesus died to give us. It's not. Doing the spiritual hokey pokey is, is not any way to be known, you know? Put your left foot in, take your left foot out. Jesus didn't die for us to be isolated and lonely. He just, that's not the purpose of his death. Jesus died so we could lose ourselves into something greater, not protect ourselves into something smaller. Jesus died so that he could know you and love you and direct you into relationships that operate on the values of the kingdom of God and the grace of God. Jesus died, in short, for you to be the church. I don't see how you say it it, biblically any other way. Jesus died for you to be the church together. And deep in your heart, you know that God has provided already in the church and it's there. And all of these things, so imperfectly and a lot of apologizing later and being patient with one another that God actually has called us to this life together. So we are brothers and sisters. So I end by saying, come in. Come in. Grab hold of ministry with folks so that you can begin to be known better. You know, yesterday, Gina and I drove up to Canton to uh, MADCAP, Madison Countyans Allied Against Poverty is what that stands for, and we were in that garden um, and you know what was great about being in that garden, just kind of serving God in that garden with, with a bunch of you who are here today, and several of y'all were downtown in different places, was uh, not just the fact that we got things done in the garden. I mean, that was great. And, and you know, there's just amazing thousands of pounds of food that come from the garden. The other thing is, I kind of got to know some people serving in the garden yesterday. It kind of becomes an emblem for what I'm talking about out of the scriptures this morning. Grab hold of ministry so that you can begin to be known better. Share ministry and you'll begin to share your life. Your life is too significant not to be observed and therefore not to be helped and therefore not to help and awaken to the life that he actually gave us. That's a really wonderful possibility. Let's pray. Lord, we are just us. You know us. One of the things that's so great is you know us and you still love us. And you're at work in us even now. And Lord, thank you for the grace that is ours, the forgiveness. Thank you that when we could not come to you, we just can't cover all our sins. Because you're holy. Thank you that you came to us and you... in our place, took all of our sins upon you and put them to death by being punished in our place. So there's nothing but grace, nothing but forgiveness, nothing but relationship with you 
left for us. If you've never put your trust in what Christ has done and you, you just see it and you want that grace, you want to start that life, just pray with me. Lord, I, I see it. I, I, I give up. And uh, I want to put my trust, Jesus, in what you've done for me. And thank you that even now I'm forgiven. I can't believe that you did this for me. Thank you that even now I'm yours. Even now you are going to lead me in my life. And you're going to continue to love me. And Lord, help me to serve you. Lord, there are many of us that have known you for so many years. And we just go through different paths and varied topography of uh, of our lives with you. And uh, Lord, there are some people who are very weak right now. God, would you surround them uh, with with the strength that comes through the body of Christ. Uh, Lord, there, there are people who are so discouraged right here. They're discouraged with situations. They're discouraged with relationships. Lord, would you provide um, that voice and that touch of encouragement? Lord, we know it's not a magic bullet, but it's a step towards seeing your great love for us. It's a step toward renewal. Would you continue to bring encouragement? And Lord, help us to know one another, even to the point of being able to warn one another. Help us to know one another enough to intercept the other person before the nuclear option is chosen, before the cycles of relational damage even occur. Lord, would you protect our hearts Would you grow us into the same patience you give us? Would you grow us into the same grace we experience from you? And Lord, would you cause it to be a rich and beautiful life even as we stumble our way through and that the church and the world would become more beautiful even through us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.